I'm going to be honest with you. I'm kind of retarded. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the first ever Ask Mark Anything. This is a bonus content episode that will be available for EMS Plus subscribers, but you get this first taste for free. This is for everybody. Uh, Remember, if you have questions, please send those questions to show at evilmark.com. Once again, that's show at evilmark.com. Some of your questions are being saved for a video project we're working on that's coming out in January. Uh, Other questions are just they've collected over the years. Uh, we've been doing this podcast for almost two years now. Um, I get questions. I'll, I'll always try to respond to the emails, but sometimes I get questions that I'm like, ah, I don't want to answer that. Or like, ah, that's going to open up a whole thing. And uh, I thought it'd be kind of fun because people are always like, why don't you do an after hours with yourself? With yourself? Or why don't you have somebody interview you? And I'm like, well, we've done that before. It just, it seems like we, we, we've been down that road, but because of the demand, I was like, we needed to, I needed to think of bonus content. And I was like, what better way? This is kind of, I have a mountain of questions that I've been sitting on. Um, so probably be the first installment and I'm lucky enough that I, I wanted to do this kind of episode and I didn't know if it was just going to be me talking to you just by myself, which I haven't done in a long time, but, uh, Eric, uh, Eric Stevens was, was gracious enough to take on hosting duties here. So, uh, at this point, I'm going to turn it over to grand inquisitor, uh, Eric Stevens of the file and entertainment podcast and the world's greatest golden domer. Uh, <laughs> wow. Such thank you for hosting <laughs> ask mark anything thank you for for being the the voice of the uh i was gonna say the voice of the customer like i'm back at work but the the voice of the listener um uh eric stevens thank you so much uh, let them know where they can hear more file entertainment yeah exactly there file entertainment available on all platforms uh all about movies in the first season music in this past season mark has been a frequent uh, guest and contributor and uh jared if you're a fan of him from the nfl edition he is the co-host and super producer of file under so he's on every episode so you get to hear more of him as well so yeah i i I love appearing on file and entertainment it's always one of my favorite things to do because it's like uh I get told by uh, the people who know me, they're like, I know a lot of people who are not sports fans. They're like, I, I like you. I like the first part of your show. I like when you get to the cat game, but <laughs> I can't listen. To, I don't want to get into like sports. Like, so it's very interesting. So people are always like uh, people who hear me the most or who really like the episodes that I do. They're always on your show. They're always like, I like doing file entertainment because you get to talk about other things and you get to be more funny and you get to do, you know, I think my best friend said you get to act like yourself and you don't act. <laughs> she made the comparison to Skip Bayless. And I was like, all right, all right. Oh, wow. <laughs> Hold on. I'm spiting words. I'm like, whoa, we, we might have to. Can a couple that's not married get a divorce? <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of the ones where you go, hmm, I wasn't going to say prenup, but now I'm going to say prenup. <laughs> no, 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 no. But uh, yeah, I know this is something that people always ask for. I never really did this episode because or, or like really put this on my radar because one i always want to do bonus content but there's other stuff to do and then the two of it i was like these just questions are so random and so varied that it doesn't i was like why do you care <laughs> like it was part of my <laughs> issue but wow. they've accumulated two years uh in for the bulk of that for almost 99 percent of it uh eric has been my co-host so i trust him we he's interviewed me before i always get in i always enjoy my time with him on his show uh, if you have not heard my episodes there please i beg you if you're a fan of the show and you're the kind of person who would not only listen to our show but listen to the bonus content and you have not listened to final entertainment every single episode i've been on please 
do yourself a favor. Go listen to those file entertainment episodes. Enjoy those ones. You'll become a fan of that show and then come back here for the rest of the ask Mark everything. But enough stalling for me, Eric, uh, <laughs> but let me, but let me throw a question at you before you throw questions at me. So, okay. Well, that's a little unconventional. <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm going to override your interview. <laughs> and, uh, I'm going to take it over, but, uh, what, what was your original thought? How are you going with it? So you, did you look through the questions? Did you, did you pick out the, did you pick out the stinkers and put them off to the side and you're thinking you're only going grade A material? No, I mean, I, if the fans asked it, it means that somebody wants to know the answer. So I had it in there. Like you, uh, you kind of, you presented the, the list of what had been uh, sent to you and you said it, it's probably better if you don't know the order. So I kind of put them in a, in a specific order. Ooh, I added okay. in, I added in some of my own as well. So, I mean, uh, a follow-up to this episode is going to be tough to beat because this is, a, I've prefaced this as the the 35 most important questions ever from the wow. fans. Wow. And from Master of Ceremonies, Eric. So hmm. there was uh, several, uh, like, well, all of the ones that you had given me from the listener, I had uh, come up with a couple of my own and then you came up with, I had 33, which I thought was a very fitting number. And I thought that you would like the, the symbology of, mm. of the 33. And then you said, oh, there's uh, two important ones. And I was like, all right, fine. We have to have <laughs> those legacy emailers have to have their questions heard. So that's now the, the 35 most important questions. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. I'm ready all right. to be well, questioned. First and foremost, let's start it out. What prompted you to expose yourself to and ask me anything? Yeah, just the the need for bonus content. So I wanted to do something that was a little bit extra. I was thinking what would be really easy to do. I was like, I have a ton of questions here because I've been soliciting questions since, geez, like since the beginning of the college football season, we knew we were going to do a video project that uh, me and Jared have been working. Well, I've been working on Jared does a lot of the video stuff for been working on it, writing diligently every single day. And I've been asking for all these questions, but there were a lot of other questions. I was like, I, this wouldn't make interesting video content. This is just kind of like a, a question. This is like a, a more personal question. I was like, I, I can't do anything with this. We used to do the answer, the question to answer period on, on the show. Like we used to do mm-hmm. three questions was, was a part of our show every single week. But uh, I was just like, this would make good bonus content. We get a lot of questions. We get a lot more comments like, you know, like, oh, you suck, or I don't like this, or you're wrong about that. <laughs> Definitely you're wrong about that, or you can't pronounce something. That I get a lot of that, but the, the, I do get a lot of questions. So I, I wanted to honor that and, and make that bonus content. Uh, that would be easy to do, only take an hour, and I, I feel like we get through a lot of them. All right, fair yeah. enough. Well, I mean, since we are primarily, first and foremost, I know that we we tend to get into, especially with the after hours, uh, more of the pop culture stuff, but this is a primarily a sports show. So a question for me, who is your favorite athlete of all time? Jeez. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really tough one. That one I did not expect. <laughs> that one was on the list. I looked at it's a good one. Uh, I'm really, uh, when I was growing up, I was a huge, huge baseball fan. Um, and I think maybe this is where my weird fascination with, the, the dark side of sports came from was like, I was a huge Daryl strawberry fan. Just loved him for, for those Mets teams. Uh, gosh, it would be a close second to him or probably Clyde Drexler, who was on the, the Portland trailblazers at the time, but he was too wholesome. I never, I loved Clyde, but like, I, I like, like I knew Clyde wouldn't punch anybody. Like I knew Clyde wasn't like a, an outlaw. I, I like guys who are like really, really weird who are really, you don't know what they're about. Like, it, it, 
Gerald Strawberry was all of that in spades, supreme athlete, but at the same time, completely tormented, uh, emotionally wrecked by the fans in the taunting, who turned out to be a way overly sensitive man about it, uh, disappeared after spring training one year. I actually got to see him uh, in a uh, a couple of rehab starts when he was playing with the San Francisco Giants. He came out and uh, he was on their their minor league team. Uh, the Phoenix Firebirds and the Phoenix Firebirds came up to Portland to play the Pioneers and actually got to see uh, Daryl Strawberry in person, hit a home run, probably the the, the highlight of my young life, seeing him nice. uh, work his way back to the majors. And then, of course, that year, injuries. And I think the next year he was – that was at the downside of his career where he's basically just chasing a paycheck because he had, I think, snorted all his, his, his money <laughs> up his nose. Most <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I, I, I like all the weird guys. I, that's what. That, that's why this show is the way it is. <laughs> okay, tracks. Okay, so here's another one. What is your favorite sports memory not involving Kenny Wheaton? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I think it's probably that 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 Daryl Strawberry home run. Probably a different one would be the uh, I saw uh, in in the summer. I would come down to visit my brother, who was going to um, University of Arizona at the time. And we would come up to Phoenix Scottsdale and we would watch the Firebirds who were the, the minor league affiliate of the, the Giants. And we'd always like wait for the Dukes, the Albuquerque Dukes to come to town because the Albuquerque Dukes were the uh, farm team of the Arizona Dodgers. And the Scottsdale Stadium, it's still exactly the same. And all the, uh, the Arizona uh, stadiums for Cactus League, they kind of have this setup where there's seats, there's normal seats, but the, the outfield is just like a grass. It's like a picnic area mm-hmm. for you to sit down in and you can just kind of chill. And I was in the outfield for one game for a triple A game and I actually caught a home run ball, um, which was awesome. It was like the coolest moment I ever had. And then my brother was dedicated enough to, uh, we waited outside of the tunnel. I remember I still have the baseball right here on top of my, uh, my, not my desk, but my, my bookcase. And we waited outside of this guy, Mike Bush, who was a lifetime minor leaguer the most he ever spent was like maybe like two or three seasons in triple a but was like a lifetime double layer kind of bounce mm-hmm. between double a and triple a uh but i every i was waiting outside the the tunnel for for mike bush night literally every every albuquerque duke came out i was like are you mike bush and i'd be <laughs> thrusting a, a baseball towards him and they'd be like no and i'd be and i'd pull it right back <laughs> You've never seen so many disappointed minor leaguers. They're like, oh, this little kid's coming up to me for for an autograph. And I'm like, are you Mike Bush? No, I don't want your autograph. <laughs> That's funny. But catching that ball was was pretty great, considering that uh, uh, when I was in Little League, that there were, I was a very bad right fielder. And there were times where I, I could have made an easy pop fly catch and totally missed it. So the fact that this ball just kind of bloop, landed in my glove like a like a cupcake perfectly. Just right on the bottom, without any effort on my on my part, was yeah, was a, definitely a big one. My favorite. Oh, that's incredible sports well, so moment. Did you meet Mike Bush then and have mm-hmm. him sign the ball? Okay, that's why I, I thought you were going. It's like why would he keep a non signed ball? Like <laughs> he was telling us the story. So my yeah, assumption I, was that you that you get to, did get to meet him. So okay, I, I have that one next to my. I think the other one is a uh, the other baseball was signed by the 1998 Los Angeles Dodgers. And it just has a lot of players that I, that I grew up liking, like Tim Wallach and Hideo Nomo. And I love that era, even though they never made it out of the, they never made it to the playoffs or they never won anything in that era. I just love that, that era of Dodgers baseball. So those are the two baseballs I have. Mike Bush signed home run baseball that I caught. And then a uh, 1998 uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Actually, I think it's earlier than that. I think it's a 96 <laughs> uh, signed nice. by the entire team. So those are the, the two ones that, 
of all my sports memorabilia, like those are the two two main items that I that I really treasure the most. Very cool. Well, sticking to LA and also uh, sports, and this is actually a <laughs> a fan issued question and one that I've been wondering for a long, long time too. What the hell is it about Chip Kelly that makes you such a staunch defender? <laughs> yeah. And I even admit, I'm like, I'm like, I, I'm a Chip Kelly apologist. I will apologize for everything. Chip Kelly. If Chip Kelly pulled an R Kelly, I'd be like, look, 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 look. Hey man. Hey man. Look, if everyone, like, wow. we're, we're in a rush to get, no, like Chip Kelly is, uh, I remember he when he first came up as uh, the offensive coordinator for Bilotti, I just remember thinking like and seeing that offense for the first time with I think it was Jeremiah Masoli was the quarterback for the Ducks at the time. And it was just mind blowing uh, how he used speed and space and uh, from everything that Bilotti was doing before that was kind of like kind of copying what everyone else done. It was the first time there was like anything really new. And it was under Bilotti. And it was kind of strange because Bilotti was such a, a stick in the mud. And to have somebody who was just <laughs> like, this is a great offensive mind. And here he is at Oregon. And then he basically gets to push. I think I was one of the, the few fans, uh, Oregon fans at the time, who was like, I'm like, good. The, the sooner we can get rid of Bilotti, the better. Like, we need we need, we need a bright mind, a guy who's going to do all these things. He had all these weird thoughts about uh, nutrition. And there was an unauthorized biography. Uh, I can't remember the name. I have it on my Kindle somewhere, but there was an unauthorized biography about him. And he just was like, he, again, I liked him because of his, his skills as an offensive coach. But when I read this unauthorized biography about him, he had like this really weird paranoia about him. His, his really weird uh, uh, ability to, to write up plays and how secretive he was about it and who he <laughs> cribbed from and who he didn't crib from. And I was like, Oh, this guy's mental. I like <laughs> <laughs> my type of people i'm like this guy is definitely a weirdo he's like he's in there writing up plays uh under a screen or i think it was like he if you believe the unauthorized biography i think the the the, the story where i fall i fell in love with him was where he he took cardboard wrapped it in tinfoil and then put it over the windows of his office uh, because he he believed, and he's right though. Because I mean, you you can make a Faraday cage out of a, out of a normal office with with just a little bit of gin and some cardboard, and he believed that people were coming in and taking pictures of, of of his plays, and he really believed that per the the unauthorized autobiography. And I just thought, like, if this guy really believes, like his work is that brilliant, that someone's going to break into his office, take pictures of it, like a uh, Mission Impossible. I was like, this guy's a nutball. I like that. And then uh, I remember that first game with that was the uh, uh, the blunt issue in Boise state where he went into this, the stands and punched a fan and that kind of sent a, a bad uh, precedent for that year. And he was kind of always working his way out of that, but he was always straightforward. I always liked him as a coach. I always, I always liked his press conferences, even now at UCLA just recently, he had a press conference where he was talking about the problems in, in college football. A lot of this is already stuff that everyone's already said. It's like, I can't give anybody a, a medal for being like, everyone should be an independent now. Like it's easy to say that now, now that we've seen all the, the mayhem, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's easy to have that opinion. Now, no one had that opinion like five years ago when, when everyone was getting paid, but he's, he's always been a, a bit of a personality. Even in, in Philadelphia, he was like always kind of thumbed his nose for better or worse at the fan base, probably to his own detriment. It kind of hurt his own career. And this is a guy who 
just like I, I heard this story about Saban was when Saban was at Michigan or Michigan State, uh, there was a player who said didn't want to play with them, and he and talked about like Saban was that same asshole that same demanding maniac he was at Michigan State that he was at Alabama. There's no, there was no like middle Saban where he was trying to earn his stripes. He just always assumed he was the greatest coach. And I, I think Chip Kelly definitely has that vibe. He just assumes that he's the greatest offensive mind in football. And I like that. I like this. It's also why I, I did uh, this also. This is like a character study in, in the weirdos that I like. That's why I like Kanye West. Because it's obviously the guy is brilliant. So brilliant. You cannot be denied. Like between college dropout and his early work, even 808 and heartbreaks, like there's no doubt Kanye West is one of the most brilliant musicians. And he went from basically like a guy who was begging to get signed, who was playing his record for people. He's playing his record for, for secretaries at, at one point in Rockefeller. And people are just going, you're like, yeah, it's good. Like, I like that. I like that. And he knew at the time that he was a genius. He was just waiting for everyone else to catch up. Uh, I love when someone's that delusional, like when someone's got <laughs> that much belief. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, that's. I guess it makes sense. Uh, knowing you and your personality, I, I guess it all the it's all coming together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you give me a book, and I, if I read, I'm like, if someone tells me, like, I especially love like, uh, I'm really into celebrity gossip here at the end of the year, especially since I've been sick and I've been hurt and uh, been reading a lot more Reddit. Like, uh, I, I keep reading all the stuff about like Leonardo DiCaprio only has sex while he has his his ear pods in. He will not Jesus. take off his ears. <laughs> Unbelievable. I just, I just love that commitment to like, no, no, no. I have to be able to like, and I'm like, I know for a fact in my heart of hearts, there's no way he's listening to good music. <laughs> there's just no way. He's listening to Kanye West the entire time. <laughs> well, that's a good transition to, I mean, I'll skip a little bit uh, down here because you just mentioned reading. So uh, I think that's a good time to ask. What is your, or what's the last book that you read? I read this. Oh gosh, this is such a, a great book. It's called, um, I love old Hollywood. I love new Hollywood. And I love uh, these, uh, these books about uh, vaudeville and theater. There's this great book called outrageous just recently came out. Um, it's by Nesterhoff. And it's a, it's this very interesting study in, um, and I, what I love about it, this is why I need to get back more into walking. It's kind of been down this past month just because of, uh, back stuff and being sick, but I love to walk and, and, and I always listen to, to, to the books, uh, audiobooks. And this one is just great because it's, it goes through vaudeville and it talks about cancer culture and how cancel culture is not a unique thing and how in the early stages of vaudeville, when they would do these comedy shows and these comedy theater projects, like Irish were widely mocked and what it took to change that was pissed off Irish people going to, to play producers and being like, Hey, that's not cool. You can't say that about us. The same thing happened with Polish people. The same thing happened with Italians. Uh, cancel culture is, is nothing new. Like there's nothing new under the sun of cancel culture. And there's always been this, uh, this book makes the point that there's always been this fight for, uh, fair representation and uh not equal representation but just validation uh in theater in art and in in comedy and i, I think i find it really really interesting because i think we've ended up in a world where like people are like uh like 
not, I'm always going to pick on Jared here, but like, you know, like I can't, he's like, I can't say ninja. He wants to say the real word. Like I, first of all, I think this is all just a, a, a bit from a, from a, a wannabe provocateur. I, I, he won't say it. If he, if he was really dedicated to it, he would just let it rip and he'd be like, yeah, deal with it. Like the fact that he substitutes the word is, is ninja for, for the real word is, is, is it's like a, it's a little edge lordy, right? Like, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not going to say it, but uh, this uh, this book kind of gets into kind of the importance of that and, and why it's important for representation and how it's always been a factor. This isn't like some new conspiracy where we all want to have bad Disney movies and we want to have bad Star Wars movies. This is always been a fight and this has kind of always been the struggle and uh, even this book kind of looks back on the first kind of the first kind of attempts to to try to to have inclusiveness were were awkward they were weird they were bad uh there was this over push to try to like present people like in such a clean fashion without flaws uh that that it kind of backfires and i think we see that with a lot of uh, I think that's where we're at in the in the pop culture right now is like we we have these kind of products where we want to do inclusion that's good, but we're so focused on the inclusion that we sometimes forget the story mm-hmm. or we, we kind of lose the we kind of lose the thread and that kind of this book kind of gets into to all that and it's kind of a fascinating look at early vaudeville it's it's one of my favorites that I read this year uh, and that was called what again. That one is uh, called Outrageous okay. by Nesterhoff. Uh, really, really good one. And then I think the other one that really kind of blew my mind this year that I would, I would, I, I would be failed if I didn't mention it would be the, uh, uh, oh my gosh, the, uh, the creative, the creative process by uh, um, Rick Rubin, which is one of the best ones I think I've ever read, which is more of a, like a high end kind of fancy, half philosophy, half practical thoughts, exercises. It's a very, very trippy, very heady, very book. One of those ones you got to read like five or six times to really kind of get the idea. And you don't even know if he's kind of bullshitting you and it's kind of like, that's the magic trick. That's another really challenging one I read this year that I I absolutely love. Okay. Well, so you said like you listen to audiobooks. So like, is that what you do all of your quote unquote reading is through audiobooks or are you actually like, you know, page words on a page kind of reader as well? No, I, I, I love an audiobook. I think okay. I'm trying to think, yeah, the last time I actually read through pages was when I was uh, in Colorado. So like, I think when I was in Colorado, I was, I think I even have the list that, that I kept. I, I kept a list of every single book I read, uh, fiction or nonfiction. And I think I ended up reading 225 books in 18 months. Yeah. That's <laughs> just, incredible. Just, uh, I mean, you got time on your hands at that point. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so that kind of transitions into this next one, a uh, uh, question from me. I don't know if it's also been asked otherwise by listeners, but what is your favorite book of all time? Ah, oh, gosh. It's so cliche. I, I love Hunter S. Thompson. I think every one of, of my ilk does. But I, Fear and Loathing is not mine. I, I love his first book, which is actually a fictional book, which kind of got turned into a terrible movie. Uh, was called It's called The Rum Diary, which is more of just a shaggy dog tale of a, of a, a journalist moving to Puerto Rico 
and then all these these weird issues kind of befall him and there there's really it's it's definitely shaggy dog tales like the perfect example because there's no real story there's no real lesson learned it's it's very much meandering but it's it's definitely a uh, a product of of Hunter S. Thompson, uh, kind of aping the best of, not the best of, but kind of aping Hemingway in in the mm-hmm. most Hunter Thompson s way, and I mm-hmm. I love the 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 merging of the two. I think that's probably my all time favorite book. Every time I uh, I must read it at least once a year. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just one of my absolute favorites, and it it goes nowhere. It's one of those ones like even the movie itself is 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 kind of not pointless, but it's just kind of very all surface uh there's no huge points to be made other than kind of this fish out of water story where x happens and y happens and z happens but i absolutely love it rum diary hunter s thompson first novel first novel he ever wrote very good so i mean reading is obviously uh, what would you would consider a hobby so another question from a listener what hobbies do you have aside from reading obviously do you have outside of podcasting yeah, I think yeah, reading is probably the big one. I, I love to walk, um, especially this year. I love to walk. I love to hike, and then both of those kind of tie into being able to listen to books. So I, I used to listen to a lot more podcasts, like a lot more podcasts. But the only ones I really, really listen to are Violent Entertainment. I used to listen to Jared until Jared said he doesn't listen to my show. Then I was like, well, fuck him. I'm not. Gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to put in the effort then. <laughs> and then there's like. Rogan, when he has a good de- guest, uh, there's a couple different shows that I like, but it, it's all dependent upon the guest. But yeah, mo- for the most part, it's just it's audiobooks. I love audiobooks, and it goes perfect with with my walking and with my hiking. And then the the, the other the negative, uh, I guess, uh, hobby would be drinking. I, that's probably <laughs> my third. I, I love to go to a bar. I love to go to Moose. I love to have like seven, eight, nine, ten beers and feel it and listen to the jukebox and, and be a part of the bar culture. It's, it's one of those things uh, I love to do at least once a week, but it's, it's one of those things where I'm realizing now uh, this year, especially has been one of those ones where I've done back to backers where I've done, I've gone Mm -hmm. a Thursday and then I've gone a Friday and then Saturday I was basically useless. Like I'm, I'm definitely slowing down, but I still find great enjoyment. Even if it's just, if I'm the only one in there, if it's just me and the bartender and I'm just, watching a, a ESPN, a college basketball game or whatever. It, it's still just one of my favorite things. And then someone comes in and we start a conversation. And then of course it always goes, it doesn't go sideways like mean, but like it, it definitely, it, 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 if, they're, if they're willing to go to weird places, I'm definitely going to go to weird places. <laughs> I can imagine that. So, well, but I mean, you also had mentioned that you're doing a lot more walking. So you're kind of counteracting like before you used to do the drinking without doing like the health related stuff, like the walking and the working out. So you are at least kind of taking steps, but yeah, once you get uh, to be men of our age, you can't kind of drink as much as you used to as often as you used to without ill effects. It takes us longer to recover in almost every aspect. So, Oh yeah. And uh, I, I, I know I'm like, I, I can tell I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm three. I'm like, I'm three and I can stop myself now. And then there, there'll still be sometimes where I'll be like, no, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be a wire to wire. Like this is going to be the one where I'm the last one in here. And then my, my always closing catchphrase is uh, like, they're always like, do you, and because I tip very well, that's the other thing that's really important to me. I was like, I'm going to go to a bar. I want to make sure I tip well, don't cause trouble for anyone. Like, I don't want to like, 
not going to cause a scene. Even if I disagree with somebody, I'm not going to fight with them. Uh, I'm going to be cool. Even if I don't like a situation, I'm going to try my best to ignore it. Don't want to stir anything up. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, I, I want to have my say. <laughs> But you're right. I can't do it multiple nights. It's just, it's too much. And the the great thing about the walking is uh, definitely helped me get in shape this, this year, but also got a chance to listen to way more books than I've ever got to listen to. And uh, it's, I, I really like it, especially in the, in the state of Arizona. Like it's never too cold. You, you just have a light sweater. And even in the summer, it's like, it's warm at night, but it's not too, too warm that you can't like just walk around. You're sweating a little bit, but it's fine. Um, and I've, I've ran into some really cool stuff, uh, little libraries and various neighborhoods. I think the most I've walked this year in one setting was, uh, I did a hike that was nine miles there all together there and back. Uh, I did that on my birthday and then I did a, uh, I, I did a pretty long one when, when I was out to visit you uh and i think I, that was like a six and a half mile hike and then i made it back just in time when, when jared got there uh wasn't probably well, too shit, long man, like I, of the year i don't know how we walked what like 12 13 miles or something when we were walking around the city when we went to the cubs game and mm-hmm. did the walking tour of chicago so yeah quite a bit of walking at the time but you kind of naturally uh answered one of the other ones which were which podcasts you regularly listen to you kind of touched on that one so i mean i guess getting back into the uh the podcasting kind of stuff um what equipment do you use when you're recording is a question from the listener yeah this is one that we always get like uh i know like I, I definitely, when I first got involved, I got like the SM7B. Well, I remember I used to have this whole board. I forget what the thing is called. I still have it in my closet. Like I had a board that would do the sound effects and it would, I'd plug this fucking thing in. And it was always like a big to do when we did the show. And I found myself like, I was like, man, when we record after hours episodes, I just use my headset and with the editing tool, it sounds just fine. Like I don't need to. And I, I found a way to do the sounds on a soundboard rather than that. So I used to be like a, a especially at the very, very first start, I was like a, a an equipment whore. Like uh, I feel like Jared is the same way. Like he's got the SM7B, he's got the dynamite cord, he can run it into his computer. And I was definitely big into that. I think now it's more stripped down. I just use they use a, a really, really nice headset that uh, that. I, I, it's the same headset I used to use at Google when I worked at Waymo for a little while. And it just sounds clear. It's mobile. It's wireless. So if I want to get up and do stuff or I want to go get up and look at something, which I never do, but very rarely, <laughs> but a lot of it, it, the equipment I think is, I like a lot of new podcasters. That's the other thing I get asked like, Oh, what, what would you get? What would you get? Like, I always think like, getting an SM7B is a little bit overkill until you, unless you really like speaking into a mic. Like I find it really, really distracting. Like I want to move my head around. I want to like look things up and things like that. Like for me, the uh, a really good, really good Plantronics headset, the, the, the most expensive, nicest one you can find works just fine for me. I still do have my SM7B. Maybe I would use it one day, but like it, it just, for me, once you run it through the audio editor, it, it all sounds the same. That this, this sound is negligible. I think it's more about, especially that SM7B. If I was a uh, in person, if we were, if we were recording together, it makes more sense as a, as a guy who's just doing this and got to run five different things. Then at the same time, the, the, this headset works better for me. Hmm. Yeah. It's more about, comfort and convenience than you know 
sound quality, which, you know, we've never had complaints or issues with as far as I'm aware. So yeah, just the first shibbies back. I think the first shibbies was when we, when I was working that board uh, where it was like the physical electronic board that you kind of plug in and you get everything set up and you record through the board. And it was just so overwieldy and the sound effects never really matched. And it right. was, sometimes it would play, sometimes it wouldn't play. And it was just, yeah, it was just a whole mess. I remember doing this show and it would take like at least 45 minutes to get everything set up. And, and, and I remember just putting everything out there and just being kind of disappointed with how it sounded and, and I, the very first couple episodes I experimented with, like, I'll just record it raw. And then I had an editor who I paid like X number of dollars per episode and it would take him forever. And I, and we used to have this argument back and forth all the time about mm-hmm. how I was like, if I do an NFL show or if I do a sports show, like this is all reliant on the games and things that are happening this weekend. You can't turn this into me on Monday for me to post. Like, does it do me? The games are over. It's, yeah. <laughs> this is worthless to me now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's definitely a case of like a lot of it's built on a lot of our uh, modular structure. And, and I hate the word script, but it kind of is, but a lot of based, uh, our outlines are based on a lot of keeping segments the same, keeping the, the everything is kind of modular. So we know we're losing this. We can bring in this or if I have to cut this, that's going to go there. So it sounds like a real sports talk show. So all the elements are there for it. It's just all the content is filled. It's just a little bit different, but it keeps it easier to build, easier to duplicate and easy. Cause we're, we're based on this kind of not news cycle, but like before, before this episode, we talked about, um, college football for for three hours and like all of that is dependent all those games start friday so if you do not get the episode either tonight or tomorrow then then you're already you're you're running behind so a lot of this is just based on speed able to churn these things out faster that's like my entire goal is is a podcaster especially when it comes to the sports shows is making sure that i can turn this content as fast as i possibly can sometimes it's very very challenging well, so that kind of leads naturally into, uh, well, it's, I had it listed as two separate questions, but I'm going to end up combining them into one. Uh, a listener had asked, uh, who are your favorite talking heads? And then I had one was, uh, was there anyone in particular that you were trying to emulate or homage when starting a sports show of your own? So, I mean, I guess you can kind of answer both of those at the same time. Like, was there anyone in particular that you had in mind and or who are your favorite people in that chunk? Yeah, I think in sports talk, it's it's very very interesting because there's there's a lot of guys that I would listen to, and I think a lot of fans are in that same kind of boat. Like we listen to Skip, Skip Bayless, and there are people listen to Colin Cowherd. I think because one, it's the biggest voice out there; it has the most attention. It's on all these uh, affiliate radio stations, and it's on TV. I know a lot of people like to listen to Stephen A. Smith or Mad Dog. I was never a Mad Dog guy. I never really liked Mad Dog. I never liked any of the East Coast guys. Um, I never liked those W fan guys. I thought they were a little too New York centric. Uh, I, my, my hero was always Jim Rome. Jim Rome was uh, a guy I heard when I was in 1990. It was weird because it all kind of happened at the same time when, when these things, when these radio personalities start going into syndication, it was like Howard Stern was 1991 where you could get part of the show on the local radio. And then in the afternoon, I remember it was this AM station 
where they would play Howard Stern in the morning and they'd play Jim Rome in midday. And then they would play this woman called the fabulous sports babe, which is like a female sports talk host. Um, and of course, like, you know, Jim Rome and her have like, this is back when Jim Rome was doing a little bit of a, everyone was doing this in the nineties. They were doing the, uh, the feud thing, like the other Stern versus man cow. There was all this stuff. And I remember Stern blew my mind just because of, the content of it and just how shocking it was. Like you never heard anything like that, which was especially as, as someone growing up in Oregon, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And he's like New York and it's cool. And it's at the time. And it's like right before the movie. And this was like definitely a fan more of that, that older, the, the not the arty years, but the Jackie years right before things really got crazy. So back when it was the original crew and, uh, there were also Billy West was there who, uh, later went on to uh, do all the com- you know do all these comic voices and cartoon voices and just he would do the Jackie puppet. I remember like one of the one of my favorite moments podcasting the, the first iteration the way I used to host the political show was I got a chance to talk to uh uh not Opie uh Anthony Anthony Cumia and uh like one of the things we bonded over was our our love of that those early stern shows in the early 90s and just how mind blowing it was but as as mind blowing as he was, I think Jim Rome was definitely my guy. And that's that's who I thought of when when I do this show. And I I try to catch myself to not get too Romey. Um because <laughs> he's definitely a Pac-12 honk. Uh there's stuff that that I carry over even to this day. Uh I can't listen to him now. Like all those sports talk guys, I don't like any of them. I like I really feel like I like Dan Bickley. He's a local guy, a really good columnist for for the Chicago Tribune. Then he moved out here to Phoenix, Arizona. Really, really good guy. Kind of a took a different kind of take on it, but he also was doing kind of like a Jim Rome homage. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's kind of where I fall in there. I always find myself like uh, I don't think Jim Rome ever said anything as shocking as as like I don't think he ever like conjured up a. Like this is like the cow, or like I don't think he would ever go down that road. Like I don't think he was one for for kind of shot comedy. But I, I did always love the uh, the uh, and I I've, I've told Jared this. I was like, when we first talked about doing a sports talk show. I was like, the one thing that always reverberated with me with with Jim Rome, and then later in theater in theater classes I took and and doing stand up comedy was just like his his phrase was have a take and don't suck so have an actual opinion don't suck and <laughs> having an opinion that was like this is like the greatest advice for any podcast radio show or whatever if, if you're if you're gonna talk on a microphone you have to have a defined opinion the worst thing you can say is i don't know i'm not sure even if you're flip-flopping then you want to talk about your decision like well i think this works but i think this could change like i i always love that that commitment from 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 jim Rohn was like have a take don't suck and that's that's all you got to do so like when when jared's like well i'm gonna pick all my teams based on you know based on the uniform they're wearing this week i'm like see that's not i <laughs> see ultimate sin to me because it's like it's, it's it's not only is it a lack of effort, but that's like you have to have a take. And by saying like, "Well, I'm going to vote for you know, I'm going to pick the Bengals because they're wearing their white jerseys," that's that's definitely sucking, and that's <laughs> not having to take whatsoever. And the least you can do is if you're going to present something to an audience, is have even if you're wrong, even if you're absolutely wrong, or you're absolutely pulling shit of your ass like like Alex Jones, you 
have to have an idea of what you're presenting and that you kind of believe in it or the reasons why you believe in it and the things that are holding you back from totally believing it, but you just cannot not have a take. Yeah, sell it with conviction, right? Yeah. Yeah. You should, if you're going to say it, you might, you should, you should have a good reason that, you, that you're saying it. <laughs> well, you did kind of mention that it's, it was a lot farther down the list, but you mentioned <laughs> uh, <laughs> having <laughs> Kind of making strong statements and having hot takes. So, I mean, this is a question from a listener. What is up with you mentioning multiple times Idi Amin? <laughs> oh, Idi Amin. <laughs> you know, like, I think there's always, like, people always go with the the the, the solid ones. You know, they go with the stall. And, like, if you're really getting out of, you know, if you're really getting in left lane, maybe you'll go with Chairman Mao if you're really, if you're an anti-communist. <laughs> Uh, you'll go with Lenin, uh, like you're the real, of course, Hitler's like that one's so passe. Like I always liked that Edie, or the one thing I like about Edie Amin is like, he never really got credit. He's just as much him in the Khmer Rouge are probably the most slept on tyrannical leaders in the world. Like <laughs> they, they don't get credit for the, for the, for the, the, the darkness they spread over the world, their atrocities, and all kinds of gigs wiped under the rug. In, in the case of the Khmer Rouge, because it's post-Vietnam, everyone's kind of tired at that point. And in 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 Idi Amin is even a more example of like, there can be a madman who's terrorizing the world, but if he's just terrorizing his own own people, especially if it's in Africa, we're all willing, like, all right, cool. Yeah, like, <laughs> totally cool with that. Yeah, it, it, does he have any oil or anything that we need? Then we have. Then there's a moral. There's a moral stand to take. But if it's if it's regular, uh, poor, destitute people, and then there's a strong man who's destroying them or ruining their lives, totally, totally ignored. And so Idi Amin is one of those ones that like. And if you look into the the what's great about Idi Amin, if you look into his <laughs> rise of power. <laughs> Still phrase it that way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's, what's great about this guy? <laughs> what's interesting about there you go. Yeah, is that like the way his rise to power was like this is one of my issues with with a lot of dictators is like, oh yeah, there must have been like Hitler's the most is the sickest one because there's there's this whole era of thought is that like, oh, well, he must have had sway over people or he lied to people or, you know, it, you know, these people were generally, they're not, they're not, they were terrible people. They're people who are suffering the effects of, of, of world war one, who part of them didn't like the economic situation, but they were in, but what we don't want to talk about is half of them were pissed off that they lost the war. This is why they're so quick to sell into the first crazy guy who comes along, and it gets it's it gets attributed to the occult, which is very very insulting. It's very very not only is it very insulting, it's 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 historically inaccurate, and it kind of it kind of it absolves people of responsibility. Like Hitler existed because the German people helped him put him into power. They did nothing about it. Idi Amin existed and rose to power is because the people felt like they had no choice. And even when they elected him, even when he first came to power, there were people who clearly said, yeah, they, they said, it's no worry that he says crazy stuff. And you can kind of follow this through line in current American politics. What they said about Idi Amin was, it's no worry. 
Yes, he says crazy stuff about women. Yes, he says crazy stuff about foreigners. But what you don't understand is he's just harmless. He's just a maniac, but he's just a weirdo. He's just being colorful. It's, it's no big deal. But the moment he sees power, <laughs> the moment people realize, like, oh, he's not a buffoon. He played the buffoon to kind of to kind of to kind of wash over all the other kind of plans he had in place it's it's kind of a uh not an indictment but it's 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 a kind of the double-edged sword of of democracy when people are pushed to the absolute brink uh especially financially definitely economically when people are pushed to the absolute brink economically when there's not enough food there's not enough fuel there's not enough uh uh you know resources to go around and then the current leadership just lies about it openly lies about it and tries to tell you that everything is okay when you can instantly look around you and you can see the entire place falling apart that's the point where fascists get in there they don't get in there because all people are like oh like half the country is inherently racist that's not true they're there because they've been put in that position they've been put in that position by people who lied to them people who we thought were good who said they were going to do good things, but they had no intention of doing anything good. They were always in the pockets of, of special interests to the point where they are compromised. They're beyond compromised. And this is what leads to the rise of fascism. When you see someone who's so devoid, someone, I, I'm going to go on my full Biden rant. You get someone who's so <laughs> sick, someone who is a proven racist, who wrote the crime bill, which is the most disgusting thing that's ever happened to people of color in this country. He wrote it. He wrote it. He's proud of it. He wrote it. This is a disgusting individual that we've all decided it was like, well, he's not as bad as that other guy. But we probably want to realize that this the next guy is going to be, especially if things don't improve. If if we kick the can down the road and things get worse and worse and worse, and then the 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 narrative gets turned is everything's all right. Everything's all right. You can't afford anything, but don't you know stock stock guys make money? Like the market's up. This this is kind of the world that 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 the lesser choice, the lesser evil. That's when the lesser evil ushers in fascism. It's not a failure of, of it's not a failure of of it's a it, it's a failure of policy, and it's not the rise of hate. It's the rise of of desperation. That desperation is sown because of really, really gross people who we've all, half the countries agreed to overlook their disgusting, racist past that far outweighs any tweet I've ever read. I didn't expect to get this this soon. I, I don't know how to transition that now, Mark. You, you've kind of painted me into a corner here. Like, how do I go from that where we're talking about these real world atrocities? Uh, and uh, I'm just supposed to be like, uh, is it true you don't like to talk off the microphone? <laughs> it's true. No, that, it is true. That was a funny one. Yeah, I, I always get that one a lot because they're like, I've joked with you. I've joked with Jared. Like, Jared recorded this episode. I have a lot of feedback. I have listened to it. Actually, I did listen to it when we talked about it, but I was like, why would I mention that here on, <laughs> on Eric's show or right before Eric's show while we're hanging out in the, the 
virtual green room. Like, why would I waste my content now when I could bring it up to when we're on air? I do feel like that. I have a very, very, very hard time talking to, uh, and I, I should be better at it, but I'm like, this would make good content. Like, it would be interesting if we if we had it out there. Like, I sometimes I've gotten better about this. Like, I'll share football stuff with with Eric and and Jared. Like I'll be like, oh, can you believe this? Or, or like I heard this, or this is what's this is what's going on. This is interesting. This might be an idea for the show. But I never really get like lay out my full ideas. So I'm like, I want to make sure that I present that it's fresh or <laughs> it's there, it's content. It just seems like a waste. It just really, really seems like a waste. I hear you. And I mean, we when you visited, we had no problem communication communicating like not on microphone but i mean there was i think several conversations where you probably would have wished like oh shit, yes that would have been good content <laughs> yeah i go i go damn that would have been good I, I know other people would have liked that too it just it, it always yeah it, it always sticks to my craw especially when the uh plus i mean there, there's nothing better than when you have the microphone and you can control the show that's like it's a way to control that conversation i know i've 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 asked my best friend i was like would you want to do like a state of the relationship on on there like i feel like that would be kind of fun and she's like no (laughs) but she's like well we can have a state of the relationship conversation i'm like no no i'm not interested (laughs) no i don't don't. (laughs) we need to record it for posterity (laughs) yeah i want to record it for posterity and i want you so yeah, so that when we're done with it and all the horrible things I've said, I can be like, well, you know, we were trying <laughs> trying to make a joke, you know, that's I was like trying to, yeah, no, there's there's something there. I think, uh, yeah, yeah, there's definitely something there. Not that I don't like to talk to people, but I was like, especially uh, you and Jared, uh, I know one time me and uh, Corey Springer, uh, we went back and forth, but I remember one time we did like a, a pre kind of thing where we just kind of talked about what we would talk about for like 10 minutes. And I was like, the whole time I'm thinking like, well, we're kind of like, we're blowing our whole load here, man. Like all this <laughs> good stuff is like, it could have been on there. I could have packaged this up as an after hours. Yeah. I definitely think about the contact that con uh, content aspect of it all the time, all the time. Yeah, because like, if you are workshopping stuff and you do have a joke, you don't want to repeat that joke because then it sounds like that's blase. Like, you know, that's mm-hmm. like, that's hack, right? Like if you just come up with it because you've got a quick wit off the top of your head, like in the flow of the conversation, that's gold. And so that's why like, it feels like, yeah, maybe we should be recording all of our stuff. So if we have good content to be like, Hey, we, we did it. Well, and, and sometimes when I go back and I look at the, especially when is writing this, this new stuff for, for TikTok, we've writing, I've been writing and writing and writing these scripts. Like I go back, I listen to old episodes and I'm like, some of the best stuff isn't the stuff I wrote. Like sometimes the, the, the theme is there or like the, the main, the main setup is there, but the punchlines are always in the response to the other people. Like I feel like mm-hmm. that's what I do. I, I can call upon the infinite void for, for what I need. And then if it gets <laughs> delivered, then it's usually pretty good. And I, I think, uh, writing on air is 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 almost more fun for me i love to write to write like i write every day um either i'm working on this show or i'm working on the nfl show or i'm working on the 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 tiktok project like i write every single day and even when it's not anything i'm going to use i still write just generally write at least for 30 minutes just to kind of uh 
get some ideas down. A lot of this stuff gets thrown away or gets left in a, in a notepad. Like pretty much none of it's usable. Sometimes I'll get like one or two things. I'll be like, Oh, that's a good idea. I want to mention that. Like when, when I had that, that little piece about the Katy Perry song on file and entertainment this past episode, I was like, I was like in the car, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about how Jesus gets shortchanged and I'm trying to make this decision between this Taylor Swift song, which is like super earnest. Like at one point she's talking about like, she hopes all the children are safe and warm. And like, there's, there's this very, very sincere, like through line in in the song Christmas tree farm. It's almost like saccharine. And Mm -hmm. the Katy Perry song is like completely devoid of like, this would be the person who would be like would 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 like take offense in somebody saying happy holidays but would refuse to recognize any elements of christmas any religious elements of christmas at all like they're there to defend christmas for all the wrong reasons <laughs> and they're like you know it's always like yes it's all about stuff but I just want you. And then there's one point in the song where she's like, oh, can I keep that Chanel handbag, please? Yeah. It's, it's all the product <laughs> placement. Yeah, for sure. It's just so <laughs> And I was like, it kind of stuck in my crowd. I was like, why was this a song I chose? And I'm like, oh, it's because. Yeah. And I, I can't think of, I, I think of the other one. We did our uh, 2010s and the monologue on Taylor Swift was, I knew I was going to pick that song. I love that song, Wildest Dreams. But I was like, I was like, there's something to be said about her. There's something critical to be said about her in a funny way while poking very, very hard at that bear and just kind of realizing that, yes, I love her. I love all her songs, but the hypocrisy and the disgustingness of it is something that's very, very shocking that we're not looking at, that we've all pretty much been like, no, nah, no, nah, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. And, and not just the the bitchy environmental whining, like, Oh, she's driving her, you know, she's, she's driving her, uh, uh, airplane all over the world. And that creates X number of CO2 gases. Like, okay. Yes. It's a fair criticism, but like if Taylor Swift basically fl- tripled her flights. It, it wouldn't even compare to like a water factory or any factory that's going on in this country. We could all recycle every day, all day. It wouldn't matter. Especially when you look at places like India and China, these developing worlds where they don't give a fuck. Mm. Like this yeah. whole this this whole climate crisis has turned into a hustle, and and we're all supposed to feel ashamed about it. And the people who are really doing all the terrible stuff, where we're like, no, 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 we're not going to call out them. But there's a girl who's using <laughs> a private jet so she can be with her boyfriend all the time, and like it, it just isn't she the worst. Yeah, yeah isn't she just the fucking worst? See, I. That's a fair criticism, but I think the even better criticism is the attitude. And then, like, I, I won't get into the whole monologue, but the, the monologue that I mentioned on, on that 2010 episode was like, it, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Like, this person is a monster and they're representative of everything that's kind of weird and wrong with the culture. And, it, and we've all co signed, like, yeah, okay, yeah, this, this is, this is quite honestly a terrible person who's, 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 We've decided is our princess. Like, and we're gonna look past everything, everything, everything. Yeah, but if beautiful only, and talented, and that's all that matters in society, right? So. If only Meghan Markle kind of got the benefit of the doubt that Taylor Swift does. <laughs> I just I wonder why she doesn't. I wonder <laughs> what the determining factor is that makes Meghan Markle fodder and 
Taylor Swift, the victim in every circumstance she ever finds herself in. Just, I, I can't, I can't put my finger on it. Eric. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other conversation. But if you want more of that, uh, the deep dive that Mark did, that's a nice, easy plug for my show. Five hundred yeah. entertainment. That was the 2010s episode. So, I mean, you did mention writing in there. And so we have, two legacy emailers that had uh, specific questions regarding, well, one of them was related to writing. So you mentioned writing a Hallmark movie (laughs) and at one point writing a song. Have you ever written a screenplay or a song? Never wrote a song. That seems like way too challenging. Uh, I've kind of played with chat GPT to write jokes and, and uh, kind of have suggested it, write songs. And, I think at one point I was like, why are you unfunny? <laughs> it's it struggles with both of those aspects. A screenplay. I have written a, I've written a treatment before for a college class. Uh, I've never wrote, wrote one seriously. It's probably a very, I think I have, I have like at least three screenwriting books. I think there must've been at one point in, in time where I was like, I, I think it's every, Every aspiring comedian at one point goes like, I better have a couple ideas so that when I blow up, I can be like, oh, here, I have three. I I think I read about somebody in a book like that who got uh, got a holding deal with uh, Paramount or WB or one of these other like uh, uh, production companies. And they were like, the first thing they do when they bring in a comedian is like, what ideas do you have for us? Like, what do you have that we could use you? And like, they're not going to think of anything like you got to think of something. Uh, Hmm. So I have written a treatment before. It was about a, uh, uh, and this now it sounds really, really hacky. And of course, it would never be made. I, I'm uh, I, I'm obsessed with Caddyshack. In fact, I'm looking at the poster on my wall right now, uh, and I always love the idea of a uh, uh, kind of like a sophomoric uh, kind of comedy, '80s kind of throwbackish oddball kind of comedy about a a a, a man who gets sentenced to a 30 day rehab and then uh, plots to escape the rehab <laughs> to, to go back out and throw one final party at the governor's mansion. <laughs> so, and I remember thinking, it was like, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. And what I found with a lot of writing projects uh, is, and this is my rule. This is like my original rule. When I started this podcast, I was like, I'm like, this sounds like a cool project. I'm going to write everything out about it. I'm going to write down what the planning would look like. What would, you know, how would this, what would I want out of it? What would be the most I would get out of it? What would this look like if it failed? Like lay it all out, put it away for, for two weeks. And then two weeks I revisit it. Then I'm like, this is great. This makes (laughs) sense. This I should pursue. Or what typically happens in that two weeks when I go back and look at the idea, I'm like this, this doesn't make any sense. This is like very, very terrible. This was like, this should have been optioned by USA in 1989. And unfortunately those guys aren't <laughs> buying movies anymore. <laughs> Just get a time machine. Go back to the USA network. <laughs> All right. Well, you also have been writing your own book, uh, like a memoirs of sorts. So, how is that coming along and when can our listeners expect to hear more? Because we did do like a, a chapter of that, which. Yeah, there's, there's two things on the front of my mind for, uh, 
well, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, like the number one thing is the TikTok thing. I feel like that needs to to get off the ground. I wonder how that's another one. Like I wonder how if that will catch on. I don't know. Um, but there's there's definitely the the, the short autobiography about the time in prison, which I have a couple chapters on. And then there's another book, which is very much, very much like a, my own version of uh, um, The Rum Diary, but it's about, uh, 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 it, this is kind of based on all my trips to Mexico. Not as not as a gun runner, but just visiting Mexico and kind of be feeling like a fish out of water, uh, especially as someone who's half Mexican, who has like no, other than the food, has no real tie to the culture. It just different. Well, because you don't even speak Spanish, do you? No, I, I mean I can understand it, but I've never I speak terrible English accent in most words. I don't even know. So, like, I feel so disconnected from that culture. Uh, the only thing that I got at, plus, even when I was growing up, like, I never really, it never really touched a nerve with me. If anything, I always thought like, it, I used to joke like when I would. When I would make my dating profile, I'd be like, yes, I'm half Mexican, but I, I identify as full white because I love all white people shit. I love, <laughs> you know, I love, uh, you know, uh, uh, pumpkin spice lattes. I love Christmas music. Uh, I, I, I love Hallmark movies. I love, I love anything that basic white people would like. I dig. The only thing that's Mexican about me is the food. And then if, if you know, if, if someone wants to have a racial conversation, that's the point where I will plant my flag. <laughs> and it may be like, Kid Frost, some of Kid Frost I can get down with, but it's just, uh, I feel very, very disconnected from the culture. So when I used to travel to Mexico a lot, I'd always find myself in these situations like in casinos or especially meeting with a lot of underworlds kind of CD types, like in these bars and cafes and these not knowing like the, the cultural aspects. So I, I have a, uh, I have a book idea. Actually, there's way more chapters to that book than already written in the uh the prison book um that are that are about a uh a gentleman who graduates from asu starts a a comedy career uh, (laughs) and then then takes a job and at at a radio at an am radio station and uh in nogales mexico and then it's kind of like a love letter to it's a love letter to the Hunter S. Thompson book I mentioned, The Rum Diary, kind of the fish out of water. In his case, he's in Puerto Rico. In this case, it would be to to uh, that part of Mexico, the right near the border, uh, kind of a, a just kind of a, a love, kind of a, a forbidden kind of. The main character gets involved with a woman who is 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 uh, the husband or the the boyfriend is hooked up with the. Uh, with the cartel and it kind of deals with all these uh, kind of fish out of water, but at the same time has a narrative. There's way more chapters than that. Every time I, every time I review it, I go back and I'm like, I read, I read chapters one, three and seven. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, this is good. I should figure this out. But then I read like the other chapters. And I'm like, Oh no, this is, this is terrible. There's, <laughs> there's actual chapter. Does this is, some of it is based on what I've done, and some of it's just based on stuff I've heard when I was there about American tourists. But like, there was one chapter that's where uh, where the main character visits a, a transsexual prostitute, but he's so drunk he's just like goes with it. So I mean, there's a, it's a very 
Okay. <laughs> it requires so much to kind of either fix it or just let it ride in its weirdness. And there's no way that people would get this and they'd go, well, this is you. Like all of this is you and the weirder shit must be you. And so this is how you're telling us. Like it's, it, it's, it's at some point it, it will see the light of day, but I just, I feel like the other one, unhappy federal prison camper is just a little bit more fun lighthearted it kind of more touches with with what i'm doing artistically as far as our show our sports shows and then uh, what i hope to do on tiktok with some of the video stuff it's it's more in tune with that i think that's an easier product to sell of uh uh, you know prison stories and all the weird stuff that comes along with there and it's not too heady as fiction Mm -hmm. because fiction is going to get presented as me when really it's it's an amalgamation of several different characters yeah but i mean as you mentioned there's so many details that are directly related to you that no one's going to be able to like divorce those things yeah i'm going to read it in is it this is you like whole hog so yeah it'd be like and, and the other part of that is like those guys are not really cool about being made fun of Mm. or being made to look weak and like mm. there's something to be said there about like you know respecting kind of you know you, you don't want to go kick a horn hornet's nest so like right probably if i replaced the setting maybe it would work more or maybe if it was a it was a state in in, in uh, the country like maybe the south and it could kind of be twisted instead of so mexico and it could be you could change the uh the cartel member to a I don't know, a local hillbilly who runs like there's all kinds of, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's like, there's a way to change it, but there's something there that makes me go like, it would be a nice little love letter to Nogales, Mexico, uh, a border town that, that I spent a lot of time in, but you're right. There's, I think that's one of those ones that you, you drop late. Plus fiction is very tough to go talk sports, uh, do all this kind of comedy and humorous stuff. And then to, to put out a novel would be just like, oh yeah, he, this is the guy. This is what happened. He's just blanking it in fiction, so he can he can tell <laughs> these terrible stories about himself. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it takes a lot of time. I mean, to to workshop that stuff. I mean, that's uh, for sure. Okay, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is kind of like all over the place. Like uh, some of these answers, it's kind of like it spiraled into things. So like I, I trying to keep a more natural kind of like talking approach of kind of jumped around the list to kind of touch on things that you had just mentioned in a previous thing. But um, I guess if we're left without anything, I just run back down the list again. So why did you make the choice not to do video for the show? Oh yeah. So the the idea was that the would always be a sports talk show that that was for people who don't necessarily like sports talk. So people in sports talk, people who love sports talk would like it, but then even people who don't like it but are casual sports fans could kind of get into it. It'd be a nice gateway into sports talk. Sports talk is I love it. I always grew up loving sports talk, but there's a lot of things I don't like about the current version of sports talk mainly the advertisements uh the not being able to curse and express yourself not being able to have like really really hot takes uh kind of everyone kind of parodying the same takes uh sometimes being 
too inaccessible in the X's and O's for regular fans. So it, the, the, the concept was always a, a radio show. It was a sports show. Uh, and the other thing I think is that, that kind of gets interesting here in my mind is the, uh, is the radio of the mind. Like the definitely our sports shows are definitely designed to be sports radio shows. Um, and then the, the sound elements in my mind bring a more old timey kind of radio kind of vibe to it. Uh, especially when we get into something more experimental, like the shibbies where we're basically having a, a black tire award show in the <laughs> mind of, of, of a radio show. There's always something I, I really loved about that. Um, and, and I think that was the general purpose of the show. I, I never really thought video added that element to it. I always knew one of the limitations was going to be like, uh, I have a co-host. He's probably not going to be here. Uh, you know, it'll be on Zoom and you can make it look cool. I just never really, if I heard, if I was ever so inclined to listen to Skip Bayless, like there's nothing on his show that would that would make me feel so compelled to watch if I was driving down the road or working out or walking like I, and I was, I liked his opinions. I'd be more prone to just listen to that show and, and kind of take out what I want, kind of like an audio book or kind of like a theater of the mind. I just never thought the video element added anything to it. Really. I, even when I see these other podcasts, like I really like whiskey ginger is a good one because it's, it's a video one, but it's, it's audio as well, but th- there's definitely some elements. If you listen to some of those episodes where the video would definitely be more beneficial, um, you kind of see people's reactions and like there's something to be said that for, for comedy. Uh, I just think that this is definitely has a more radio aesthetic because I'm a, like I mentioned it with, with who I really like. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of radio as, as a medium, although I, I, I don't think this is, where everything's going in fact i think this is this is uh we might be the uh podcasting might be the betamax to the uh, to the eventual <laughs> uh rise of of the streaming service in short form video but i it, its original purpose was definitely radio mind this is why there's no video okay it's another popular one from the listeners is uh why don't you interview more guests on the show you know, when I first started this, uh, what's funny about the quote unquote, the evil Mark show is that it went through a couple of different iterations. So originally it was a, uh, <laughs> when I very first put it together before I did the, uh, the political podcast, it was the evil Mark show version 1.0 and it was a book review podcast. So people would send, I'd write all these, uh, these, uh, publicists, these book publicists. And I'd be like, Hey, can you send me the book? I'd like to talk about the book on the air, or I'd like to interview the, the, the author. And I think that was, I, there were about five episodes I completed. Um, gosh, one was, a one was a woman that reminds me just of God, just like Gaia. Like she was, uh, like she was in all the, you know, like open relationship stuff and polyamory and, like it was very much so like I, I knew we wouldn't click, but I knew like the subject matter was a little, was, was nice and spicy for an episode one. Um, and like, I could tell that we just, I did end up airing that, that episode. I can't remember her name. Maybe I don't want to remember her name because I don't want to plug her <laughs> shitty book, but it, it was just like, I found her personally. And it, it could have been a guy like, 
gosh, and how can I say this without sounding mean to to Gaio? But like, I find a lot of that that acting out in sexual situations, they like to look at it as liberation. I like to look at it as like really deeply unresolved problems, like unresolved emotional problems. Mm. And I think it's kind of like when I spoke to her, I was like, yeah, I feel like, like you don't need a, like another, you know, like a ball gag. Like what you need is like a therapist to like work through your shit. And the fact that I'm hosting you sell your book and your website, like I'm, I'm helping you in your delusion. I, I don't know how I feel about that. And especially as an interviewer, you can't just be like, oh, you're fucking wrong. Like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Like, do you know you have unresolved trauma? That's why, that's why you're in a sex club on a Tuesday. Like, it's pretty obvious to me, but like, you can't, you can't go after guests like that. And then the well, you the, could do that. It just turns into a different type of show. It's yeah, not it like an interview be, show. It's more yeah, like, gross. Yeah. It would be like, yeah, I'm going to yell at a guyo <laughs> type for, for 40. And w- what's really going to happen is there's nothing I'm going to say to him where he's going to be like, yeah, you know, the, you're right, Mark. This is, is all unrelated to that first relationship that, that, that abruptly ended. And this is a, this is my weird response to grief because I haven't found a, positive way to process this uh like no one's gonna change their core opinion that kind of drives who they are like that um and maybe they shouldn't like maybe, maybe they need to well certainly not over the course or, of one show i mean if yeah. it was if it was like a therapy kind of based show where they were ac- actually open that like they wanted to make a legitimate change in their life and it was they and they were looking to you for advice or to kind of talk it out through like a therapy session, then it's possible. But like, yeah, to your point, I mean, over if they are kind of stuck in that mindset and they're coming from, you know, uh, a very rigid perspective uh, and they don't want to change that. And it's just, you're just kind of screaming at them to change it. Yeah. Nothing's going to happen. They're they're like, we need to normalize this. Like that, that's the, so I, so I realized quick when that, with that first, I was like, I don't like this person. But I had to interview them, had to get through it. And then there was a uh, there was a comedian who I really liked. He was a, a Vegas local who who's a, who's kind of like a middle act. He's kind of been a lifetimer there. Really liked him. And that was more of a uh, – and that, the more I listened to that episode, I was like, mm, this is kind of like a – this is definitely a Mark Maron episode where it's basically like we're just bullshitting about trying to get through this, trying to get through that. And I was like, like yes, this is a – good interview and it's kind of interesting and his book was kind of interesting but like this is this is Marin 2.0 and there's enough there's enough Marin clones out there in my mind and then uh the third one was uh a guy who lived out in the Alaskan wilderness it was a really fascinating conversation and that was one where I was like well maybe this would work maybe I should just interview authors who are not famous and and see if it would get there and then as I was doing these first couple pilot episodes and that that evil mark show was getting started like that was right when the 2016 boom kind of took off and there were all these weird people on reddit who were controlling the front page uh with uh uh mr trump and the donald and i remember just thinking like i was like i was just so rubbernecking on all these weirdos and i was like i was like i, I thought they were like hardcore right-wing like weirdos and and the more i kind of dug into them i was like oh these guys are just 
they're just here for the for the lulls, man. Like these guys, are just, they, like no one believes anything in this group. They're just literally here because they're like, wouldn't it be funny if we set the house on fire? <laughs> like, very. I was like, I like this aesthetic. I think I'd like to know more about these guys and kind of get into it. And so that's what shelved 1.0 and became something else. And then I was off to Colorado, and when I came back, I knew I was going to put the show back together. And it was going to be like an interview kind of style thing where I would just do interview after interview. And there were a couple ones that I did that never made it to air. Uh, that would have been version 2.0. And it was like, I think I interviewed a guy who ran a professional video game academy. I interviewed a, 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 a guy who said he was affiliated with the mob and he had mob stories. And I just remember getting through all those interviews and I was like, I don't care about these people. And if, <laughs> I don't really care. It's kind of disservice to anyone who's listening because if I don't care and it clearly shows and why should they care? Why should they want to listen? And that was the the point where I was like, I was listening to a lot, a lot of local sports talk radio. And I remember thinking like, I was like, I could do this. I think I could do this in kind of a new way. And that's what led the, I, there was at least a good year and a half of just, gathering material, listening to every sports podcast that was available, almost every single one, and trying to kind of like mine, how could it, because I've always loved that genre. I was like, how could I do this genre, uh, kind of honor what it's always done and bring my own kind of take to it, but then also do it in in a, in a kind of way that kind of honors that, that Jim Rome kind of mm-hmm. single guy one guy talking at you, telling you what, what sports take is what and how things are going. And that's how it originally started. And then the, when we, we kind of went further along and I was running these games where I'd bring in other people and I was just like, I have more pe- I have more fun when I have other people to bounce off of. It helps me with other writing ideas. And, and yeah, I guess you didn't ask that question, but that's kind of the, what led to, to where we are now was, was just, uh, uh, this is the third iteration of, of the evil Mark shows. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. That is. Yeah. And I'm guessing not a lot of people knew that. I, I think we've, we've definitely brought some people over from the, from the, from the Magapod people who liked that, who liked the, uh, the freewheeling. Cause that was a, a very interesting show. It was the one where we have Roger Stone, Tila Tequila, uh, Anthony Cumia, like they were all the, all before they became right wing stars, they were, they were the right wing adjacent people. I almost got the guy from Dilbert, the guy who, uh, gosh, what's his name? Uh, Scott Adams. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was one of those guys who was like a little bit of a cock tease. He didn't want to throw his hat in the ring in 2016, but he was always, he was a very, uh, what about is kind of guy with Hillary. He was like, well, you know, like maybe I should think about it. Like he was obviously in the, in the bag. He just didn't want to, he before now he's definitely a, like, a, a, we all know he's a wing nut, but, uh, but back then he was kind of playing this little cock tease game with both sides. But, uh, uh, Garrison the 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 famous alt-right uh, cartoonist was was also a, another guy I interviewed who was like so so interesting and it was one of those conversations that uh that really helped me become a better interviewer and then also because he brought it he we were there to talk about trump and the the alternative right this was before we knew what it was going to turn into. This is back when it seemed a lot more libertarian. It seemed very much more libertarian. Now it's like weirdly religious for some reason. I don't know how that got added in there, but 
he was a very, very kind of interesting one when he started talking about his fight with 4chan and how they're finally starting to see alignment. Because before 2016, like 4chan was very, very, I, gosh, I would almost argue they were left leaning. Like there was a lot of, a lot of the shit posters and shitlords were were more like left winging kind of uh, they were there with that occupy kind of wall street kind of vibe like how can we fuck with the corporation how can we do this how can we like they were very much into into going after corporate interests and then we kind of saw it with that first with the the hillary clinton obama primary like there was this really sour taste in the mouth of of liberal people uh, me included, who who really believed uh, not only in Obama, but that like he should have got this this you know that he was the the nominee and we, they were the supporters. Those supporters, I mean, I was one of them. An early Obama supporter, the very first time was uh, a lot of it was based on the idea like, yeah, we're going to change things, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. This guy seems competent, and I remember at the time there was this this great schism. In the Democratic Party, amongst a, a lot of the moderates, I, I, which I considered myself a more libertarian, but more open-minded kind of on on uh, or more you know wanting guns and things like that, wanting guns, uh, abortion. Uh, you know, I'm still kind of iffy. Definitely a blue dog Democrat. There was there were all these moderates, not war hawks. And these Democrats who were more on the fringes of libertarianism ideas and Green Party guys who loved Obama. And I remember the, the Hillary people, there was this, there was this definite feeling. And I remember they used to say this all the time. They'd be like, why can't he wait his turn? And it kind of became this kind of struggle there on 4chan where it was like, uh, especially, and this is how crazy times have changed. There was this whole feeling that they kind of had from, 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 black and latin people in this country of like democratic parties always saying that there's a place at the table always saying that there's a place at the table now there's a guy who's going to earn that place who's winning these primaries and the clinton people are telling him wait your turn boy there was a very much an undertone of really not like racism I, like i'm sorry i don't mean to cut you off from mid-sentence i'm like i i need a break for a second okay okay hey, sorry <laughs> let me pause Oh, we both had to take a potty break there. But just to to finish my thought, like with 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 Hillary, and I don't want to get into this whole anti-Hillary thing, but there was a, especially at that time, there was this feeling, especially with the pro-war stuff. That's the point where we realized, like, especially a lot of Democrat people realize, like, uh, basically a neocon. This is going to be always going to be voting for perpetual war. At the same time. This housing crisis is 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 looming. I think anyone who kind of knew what was going on knew that this was kind of starting to shake apart. We knew that the connections between the Clintons and their unsavory dealings and Obama seemed like a a great hope, and it, it seemed like a nice way to stick it to to the the gosh, I'm not going to racist is is too on point for them because they have such it's beyond racist. They have such hate in their hearts. They they want to. They want to use people of color like dogs. Like that was the whole thing. They they wanted to to co-opt everything, let them know what they should be upset about, 
But then when they wanted to put forward someone who kind of represented them and their values and their aspirations, it was like, whoa, 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 just wait your turn. Just wait your turn. And the problem was, is, is in that particular party, uh, everybody had been waiting their turn for too long. And, and if, 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 if they, they had the same kind of ideal of wait your turn when they were the ones who, who propagated slavery, uh, hundred years before that not saying that they're bad people but there is definitely a there's a huge gap in the leadership and the the people who pull the levers there and 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 the people on the ground floor who 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 were who were organizing and were doing committees and to obama it was like this great hope so that was why there was so much investment into that and i remember 4chan at the time being so anti-Clinton and I became such a, a thing that I think it even leaked over after those eight years of Obama. And we realized that like, yeah, he's a, he's a corporate stooge too. And that he's pretty pro war too. And his drone kind of policies weren't that great either. This is just as much blood on his hands as, as any other democratic president. And there were the half measures, the things that, could have been done like the uh the affordable care act having a public option all these things that instead of pushing through and getting done were were half-assed and they were compromised out of existence and i think that's why a lot of people going into 2016 were me personally felt betrayed and i think that a lot of the 4chan that that stuff that came out of that was was based on that i, I there's a I know I've talked about this on the show. I've talked about this somewhere, but like there's a book called something awful about a, from a pretty long, uh, a pretty prominent liberal writer who, who does this, like, I remember there, I was there and I, I, I saw the, you know, I saw the, the rise of the alt-right and where it is now. And it's, it's, it's completely inaccurate. There, there's, there's so many lies in it and there's so many, there's so much changing after the fact. Um, even, even when I was gone in Colorado, because right after the the inauguration, I was uh, I was in, and I remember coming back out and trying to read through the news and catch up with the news. And uh, I I think that the funniest um, the funniest story to me was the uh, the Russian the 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 Russian spy who was in cahoots with the Trump campaign. Who uh, oh gosh, I, I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, uh, but they were like, oh, it's a group of hackers. It's a group of hackers that were always working to undermine the DNC. It was a guy from Sweden who who went by the name Viking82 on Reddit. And it was a big point of contention that there was a Swedish guy who ran the entire sub, believe me. But this was a guy who was addicted to, to Mali and would routinely go out every single night and sleep with several different men and the fact that and he was just having fun like he that's this was a guy who was living it up and he was the leader of the alt-right like and he was this secret fascist and then he later he became a secret group of russians that that was like uh post 2016 for all the craziness that happened in that four years none of it was good but it, 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 it kind of solidified in my mind that definitely the distrust of the media, definitely distrust of the, the Democratic Party. I, I'm definitely one of those people. I think uh, I would argue that and maybe maybe it's kind of gross to cross, 
quote Reagan here, but like, I, I don't think I left that party. I think that party left me. I think that party left everybody else who was rational, who was kind of a centrist, who was uh, more pro-union and, 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 and pro-individual rights and, and turned it over to a lot of people who were pro-war. Never seen a party where the CIA guy, the spook gets cheered and the peaceniks get booed out of existence, which happened at the 2016 democratic national convention. It was uh, a real bummer for me. So uh, the four chance for all it's, it's good and bad, definitely way more bad, definitely way more creepy. I I think there is something to be said there uh, about that history and time and all the things that were interesting that were going on in that time and how, even now, when you look back at a lot of those things, a lot of those things got washed. A lot of those things got twisted and turned. And and you know, I think if you're there for that and you witness how things got twisted, I, I think it kind of changes how you think about media. And I think that definitely affects how I do my show, but also definitely thinks about how I, I think about this country and, and where we are politically at different points. I'm trying to think of what was the, even the question that prompted that one. Was it, I know. why don't you interview more guests? Was that, was that, yeah, the I think that was. Like, how did we get here? Yes. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like them. I, there are very few guests that I like. Uh, and, and the, the conversations that I would want to have, I just, I don't, it's still on the table. I would always be open up for, for an interview if I felt like it, it would be interesting. When I look at a lot of the, the the circuit, the what is that like podcast guest list or something like that? There's some kind mm-hmm. of national list. I, I'm a part of that list too. And like I get it. I always read it and I always look through these and I read them and I'm like, this guy is just trying to sell a book. Like the guy's like, oh he knew Jimmy Hoffa. He was like his third cousin or something. It's just it's a very tough. If you're if you're super famous or you have some level of fame that you can get your other friends on here, it, that kind of makes it fun. Uh, but if you're not, you're, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. And a lot of, a, a lot of the problems would be, especially when I used to do the book one. And when I did the second iteration, when I was doing those test shows is like a lot of people don't want to have a conversation. They want to sell you something and, yeah. and they'll never even let you get to the point where it's like, I'm believe me, I'm going to give you your plugs. I'm going to sell your book. I'm going to get there, but you can't be mentioning your book every conversation, which is really frustrating for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I think that we have kind of figured that the 35 questions was a little too, <laughs> amb- a little too ambitious for uh, for one bonus episode. So I think we're gonna we're gonna split it off. So I'm trying to look. As to if we round it off to a nice even twenty, two kind of more lighthearted ones. Um, how about we go with this one? What do you do to psych yourself up before a show? Hillary Clinton killed. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Just joking. Uh, no, to get you know what this really depends because like, um, and I know people always send me this question. It really depends on who I'm doing the show with. Eric is is not going to come shot out of a cannon. He's usually pretty calm. He's pretty, he's pretty put together. In fact, like nine times out of 10, when we start our show, I'm always like, I'm like, I'm like, are you ready? Cause I always wonder if like, I'm, I'm like, Oh no. And see like <laughs> Eric's very even keeled. He doesn't come in hyped up. 
Uh, so I have to like, I, I like I usually like, uh, like, I like a little Kanye West right before I come on the, do the college football show. I like a, a little, uh, juvenile. I like bass. I like a hip hop song. That's going to really, really get me pumped so I can deliver the ad read and we can get into it. And then I know we're going to be, we're going to be into it with Jared's different because Jared's energy is heat. As soon as we get on the microphone, even before we start recording, he's shot out of a can. He's like, this happened at work. I can't believe this happened. This is bullshit. Like he's got like, he has his own personal agenda right from the beginning of our call. And if anything, I got to like with Eric, I want, I need to get pumped up and then I'll, I'll, I'll take my brain medicine and then I'll be ready to, 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 to jump in the flow of the college football show for the NFL show. I have to get up before I even start talking to Jared so that I'm the calm, relaxing presence. So he freaks out, he works through it. And then he's like, okay, I'm ready to go. Let's record. <laughs> I'm like, okay, now we can get into it. It's very, very different for, for, for both my co-hosts. It's, it's never just one, but I, I for, for Thursday though, I, I love juvenile slow motion or I, or I love uh, Kanye West's, uh, through the wire. I, I think it's another great pop-up song or uh, this year. I've really, really been hitting the creed hard. So I like, <laughs> I know I'm going to play this song on the show or I know <laughs> this is on the front of my mind. Very much. My divorced dad regret rock playlist gets a lot of action as pump up songs before uh, like today. It was uh, the Papa Roach song scars. It's very okay. dramatic. I knew I was like, this is the first time we had recorded in a while because I'd been sick, been out for two weeks. So I'm like, I'm like, I need something that's like going to keep me in touch with like an undercurrent of like, yes, like I've survived. I'm here. I'm going to do the thing and it's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow or Saturday when I record Jared, like he's probably going to be on fire it's probably going to have to be like something a little bit slower a little bit more calm because he's coming out he's coming in shot right out of a cannon well so okay this kind of leads i know we talked about maybe only two more but i think i've got two more which would put us actually Mm -hmm. at an even 20 and they kind of go together you just mentioned papa roach and uh, one of the listener questions was what is the heaviest type of rock that you listen to so we'll start with that one (laughs) it's embarrassing because i I, i'm trying i I always say this when when i'm on file entertainment i'm like i'm like i don't know man like whenever whenever jared picks a heavy metal song I, i try to think about like well you know i don't really like hard music i don't like I'm not a fan of like Metallica or like Megadeth Anthrax. It's just, it's just not my cup of tea. Like I, I, I like something way more cinematic or theatrical. Uh, I, 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 like I'm afraid to admit, I mean, but, but like Papa Roach is probably near the, the high end of the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the like hard rock kind of aspect of it. maybe if I can go with an old one, I, I would go with ACDC. Like it, it, it's solid reliable yeah it's hard but it's hard in like all the most cookie cutter basic bitch kind of way it, it just it fits my needs i don't need anything harder i like especially when i'm not getting pumped up for a show when i'm just living my life or driving my car or like going to dairy queen or going wherever like i, I don't need all this like really really hard music in my mind 
stressing me out. Like I like very calm, very cool things. I mean, like it doesn't have to be Jack Johnson. It could be a little theatrical. Like yesterday, I really, really when when I was going to the bowl game, was really, really into the fray. I was I was rediscovering the fray, which had been quite a while, and I was like. And it all started with with over my head. I'm like, I'm like, okay, great. This is perfect. It's like, it, it's just the. And then I started like, then how to save a life is another like generic one. Uh, yeah. And then I, and then I think it really set it off for me was uh, uh, you found me, which is another phrase song. I was like, I just love it. Uh, definitely not hard, but it's 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 definitely uh, uh, Papa Roacher, yeah. I, or ACDC would say I'm the hard. It would be the hardest thing I listen to. I don't even like Black. I can I can appreciate it. Black Sabbath I can appreciate it. Metallic I can appreciate it. It's just not my cup of tea. I like something way way more calm. Uh, when I woke up this morning, like I, I was listening to a little bit of Jack Johnson. Like it, it, you know, there's it's funny because I know Jared tried to like pull that joke on me where he like watched what I was listening to on Spotify. And, <laughs> and I was like, dude, I always admit I listen to a bunch of bullshit. I'm on record as saying I have shit taste. <laughs> like, you can't, I'm like, what are you going to embarrass me for a musical? I have an entire pop list. that's filled with Katy Perry, uh, Lady Gaga, uh, Hillary Duff, um, Lindsay Lohan, which are album fucking banger. I stand behind that. Uh, still, even to this day, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not the one to, to come ask about your, your heart. Cher Lloyd, Ashley Simpson's on this playlist. Uh, Mandy Moore. It, it, I, I'm not the one to ask about heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so that kind of leads into this one. I was going to ask about these, uh, the whole like desert island thing, right? Okay, so mm-hmm. you're stranded on a desert island, but you can bring five whatever. Like uh, I've got one in here for movies that will go into in sitcoms. But since we're talking about music and this might be difficult and this might lead to a really long answer, but you're stranded on a desert Island, but you can bring with you five albums. What five albums are you bringing? Uh, I'm definitely going to, I'm going to stick with my, my Kanye West thing. I'm bringing college dropout. College dropout is my number one. Um, Second, I, I, I'm I'm going to uh, I got to stick up for my boys, Maroon Five songs about Jane. I figured that would be on the list. Yeah, absolute banger. Love it, start to finish. Uh, I'm I'm going to give a little love here to uh, to Lindsay Lohan's 2004 album Speak. Great, totally underappreciated um, from first to speak to disconnected to uh uh what's the hit on here uh rumors is is the big hit on here just wonderful 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 piece of 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 pop um so that's three gosh now i'm i'm really kind of digging so now i probably get a i'm not going to cheat i'm not going to go with the greatest hits now i need some country here to kind of round this out probably go with a morgan wallen um uh kind of fit my my modern country needs. And then a fifth album. I need some hip hop. I, I need, I need something with that, that. That's got a little bit of edge to it. One of the things I didn't get to, to get to celebrate was um, when I did my musical journey, which, which was unfortunate was uh, um, TI 
T.I. is probably one of my my favorite current rappers. Uh, what I love about T.I. is he's uh, uh, as real as it gets. A guy who's done served real time and not like, oh, Hollywood time. Like, oh, we got this guy and we'll get this guy out of here in Beverly Hills County. Like, no, real prison time. <laughs> At one point, he raps about the the communication system that's in there that you send emails through, uh, how you get money on your books. That's definitely a guy who's <laughs> right up my alley. And I think urban legend is, is, is probably one of his best, uh, uh, urban legend has, uh, bring them out. I think is definitely the hit on there. Uh, their stand up, uh, that, which has got trick daddy, little John, little Wayne, which is like a nice little, uh, uh campaign, you know, like a, a, a group piece. And then of course, uh, I got to call back to the nineties. The last song on that album is, uh, is my life with Daz Dillinger, uh, reminds me of that nineties. There's yeah, Pharrell Williams is on that, on another different song, little Kim, Manny fresh. There's all, if you love trap hip hop, that's Southern hip hop. Uh, and I think, T.I. does it better than no one else. T.I. would be my my fifth album in there. It's a good, diverse, eclectic mix. I'm kind of surprised that Lindsay Lohan made it and no Taylor. But, uh, wow. Speak is such a good album. It it does not get the credit that it deserves. Not only was she a, 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 a better than average actress, uh, I think the control problems and the the substance probably got the best of her, but a really, really great musician. I mean, at, at this time, you got to remember in this in this era of of that pop, you had all these people like rushing in there, like Willa Ford and Hulk Hogan's daughter was in there. Like everyone was making fuck me pop. Like there were, and then you even got like Neon Hitch, and you got these like British girls who were like coming in and trying to make American pop. And, and Willa Ford's a good example. It was like just normal singers who had a gospel background who are go, just doing slut pop. Like there, there's something to be said here. <laughs> and it's great. And Lindsay Lohan's it, even, I'll even get Paris Hilton's album. Isn't even that bad, but it's not great. It's like, it's a good effort, but <laughs> Lindsay Lohan's album is actually really good. Start to finish. It probably all the credit goes to Max Martin and, or the host of Swedish songwriters and beat makers who helped her put this thing together, but it just fits perfectly. Okay. That's uh, I think the perfect way to round this out. So the, the 20 part one of the most important questions ever with Mark, that's the first 20 on the docket. And I'm sure after hearing this uh, listeners will be inspired to submit more questions that they need the burning answers that only Mark can provide us with. So, I guess until next time, Mark, this is your show, but where can they find more? They can Mark find and- evilmark.com. You can just go there. You'll be able to find a link to everything that we're doing as far as uh, uh, projects on the horizon. Uh, everything, every every extra waking moment has been being put into writing for the uh, for the short form video content that's coming out. Um, finally got everything organized uh, as far as links. So now you can actually go into the show description. You can buy a t-shirt. You can join the discord. You can find us on Twitter. Everything is in the links now. So that's kind of been a work. I've kind of trying to reshape everything down just to, for state of the show. Uh, Gump is, is leaving uh, here in January. So I, I, I've taken back all administrative decisions and, 
I'm kind of uh, charting my own path here. So um, I'm hoping to do some really, really interesting stuff. And uh, uh, bonus content is, is definitely going to be a key part of it. And uh, this one, it goes out to everybody. So everyone gets this episode. So if you're interested in more, you have more questions, please send them to show at evilmark.com. Once again, that's show at evilmark.com. Um, and yeah, it was, it was fun talking to you guys. Thank you, Eric, so much for, for hosting. Really yeah, if you questions. do want... I didn't mean to cut you off there, Mark. This, again, this is your show, but I, in keeping with the surprise nature of it, if you want to send me the questions that you want Mark to answer so that he doesn't even know about them, that would be <laughs> even better. You can send those to fileunderpod at gmail.com. So just put uh, that they're for Mark's AMA, and I will be sure that we include them in the next edition. So fileunderpod at gmail.com. Perfect. Yeah, make sure you're sending your questions in. Uh, I do save the ones for um, for show ideas for the short form content, but I am still looking for those questions so we can provide this this uh, this content for you, this bonus content for you. Always, always appreciate the listeners. I think this is the most important thing was like, we built up all these questions over the past two years. I was like, all right, I'm just going to put them all on the list. And we'll work through them. If it takes more than one episode, that's fine. I'm sure we'll get more questions as time moves on. Um, but it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. Uh, and uh, I, I'm gonna—I'll give you our, our closing catchphrase, uh, and then I'm gonna play a little—I'm play a little bit of rumors here for you from Lindsay Lohan, just to prove how much of a banger it is. So until next time, be ungovernable, be uncompromising, but most importantly, be kind. It's a pleasure talking to you guys. Please join us again. On the next episode, as always, we love you. Here is a little rumors from Lindsay Lohan's breakthrough album, Speak. I could use this in intro. I love this song. <laughs> See, who needs who needs other any female musician? Listen to this. This is great. Really. <laughs>